Okay, well, um, this is Matthew Dennis with the Registered Guard. Um, I'm sitting here today with Professor Peter Laufer, and um, Peter has been gracious enough to come over to the Registered Guard offices to speak about his new book, Dreaming in Turtle. Welcome, Peter. It's terrific to be here. Thank you, Matthew. Yep, thank you very much for coming. And um, I've had a chance to look over this book. It's an incredible exploration of um, the turtle species um, as it kind of exists in culture today. Um, can you just introduce us to the book um, really quickly? Sure. I, I take a look at turtles and tortoises across cultures and across time because w one of the lures for me is trying to get a sense of how it is and why it is that almost all cultures, whenever they existed or exist today, mm -hmm. have looked toward turtles to connect with longevity, fertility, and wisdom. And that, when it's connected with, and maybe this is part of the reason this exists, when it's connected with the fact that the turtles link us to dinosaurs, mm -hmm. they were here with the dinosaurs and they're here with us, there's something extraordinarily special about that, even before you start looking at the animals and seeing them do things like pull their heads into their shells. Right. <laughs> and then there's the news aspect of it, which is that uh, the growingly affluent upper middle classes in Asia, particularly in Vietnam and China, have rediscovered their connection with turtles for food, for traditional Chinese medicine, for ornaments, for aphrodisiacs as pets and consequently especially since we all tend to look toward that which is wild rather than that which is farmed it's creating a great drain on turtles worldwide and particularly in the southeast of the United States where they're being poached mm -hmm. and then transshipped smuggled into Asia and that's endangering species yeah thank you that was a great introduction um your longest chapter in the book is about those farms, about the prodigious farms, and you detail from, like you said, Asia, looking at Jakarta and China and then to the United States, how there is such a huge demand for turtles. That was incredible. In China, there's actually a, um, a trading desk for turtles, right? They yes. They're, they're, they're invested in without them being around to play with. Right. That's incredible. Um, so I'm curious, when you're looking at these, some of these farms, if there is some sort of a sustainable aspect to that where you can feed the demand by just growing these turtles on farms, um, do you feel like that might be sustainable or is the demand just too great? You're going to be culling from the wild just because of the demand. So there are two problems with that. Yes, that is a solution and it is solving problems probably except, and the except is, when you have the farms fueling the, the current demand, mm -hmm. that also creates a, a increased consciousness of the intrigue, and so that creates more demand. Can the farms keep up with that increased demand? Maybe, mm -hmm. but then there's the perceived greater value of the wild. And you can look at it just right here at our dinner table. Most of us, 
probably you, and I have to confess me, mm -hmm. I'd prefer to have a salmon out of the Pacific that's wild than one that's farmed. And we have sustainability problems with the salmon that are out in the Pacific wild. And, and so does, does the farming of turtles compensate for the, the drain on the wild? Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, the answer is no. Yeah, um, and that's really too bad. Um, what was interesting here, though, is you kind of see an evolution, a bit of an evolution for using the turtle, like you said, as food, as an aphrodisiac, to there's a big push now to just having these turtles as pets. Um, do you feel like that's raised awareness for turtles at all across the world um, for protecting them? Because people kind of have them as a living species now instead of using them as a resource. Yeah, certainly those who respect them and decide to keep them as so-called pets or companions or just have them in their house, are there are plenty of them who are not abusing them, and that's increasing the awareness of the animal and and the importance of taking good care of them. But, mm -hmm. but then there are the jerks who mistreat them, and there's a there's an episode in the book that takes place right here in our neighborhood in Springfield where I'm interacting with the biologist Chris Yee mm -hmm. from the Oregon Department, or, or uh, I always forget the exact nomenclature, uh, uh, Fish and Wildlife, Department of Fish and Wildlife, I think it is, mm -hmm. the, the exact title. At any rate, he, he was telling me when we were out in the field that he encounters kids here in Springfield who are finding turtles and bashing their carapaces and doing yeah. doing uh, terrible things to them and he he tries to sit them down and explain to him the marvel of these animals and and the uh, ghastliness of their abusing them but it's uh, it's constant battle yeah it's a constant battle um, one of the one of the more special things that I think about uh, about the book is you have an incredible exploration of turtles across the world, but you weave it in with sort of your intimate relationship with your own pet turtle, with with Fred. Right. Um, so I'm curious. Number one, if you really, if the motivation for getting Fred was really from a Santeria priest, and then uh, go ahead. Yeah, but there's no question that when this uh, when this priest. It, it's a combination. Mm -hmm. My editor said that this would be a really good device mm -hmm. to to uh, create a continuum throughout the book because the book is episodic in a series of uh, explorations. And and then when when I was in Havana and I'm sitting in the in the offices or whatever the right terminology would be of this Santeria priest sure. right opposite his altar and he's explaining how he is looking forward to getting the authorization to be able to sacrifice a four-legged animal including turtles because at this point all he was uh, all he was uh, okay with doing was two-legged animals like chickens mm -hmm. when when he says you need to live with a turtle um, I'm not saying uh, that uh, my belief systems are such that I thought I better do that so I don't get struck down or its equivalent, but it was it was impressive and motivating, and I thought, okay, I'm going to listen to this guy. Mm -hmm. 
Do you miss Fred? I miss Fred. Fred went back to Prescott, Arizona, which is where he came from, a reserve there where a colleague of mine sent him up so that I would have the opportunity to live with him. And then my travel schedule precluded keeping him practically, and so he went back. But sure, I think about him, and I miss him. And and, uh, Sheila and I, my wife, are talking about a trip down to Prescott to visit Fred. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. A little nostalgic journey to see how he's doing. That's good. Yeah. Um, See if he recognizes us. Right. Or if we recognize him. <laughs> um, yeah. So how, how was it different being a turtle owner as opposed to, say, owning, owning a dog or a cat? Well, well, I guess, first off, we have to be careful with the term owner. You know, he was a companion. Oh, rather. And, excuse me, yes. <laughs> and um, he's messy. Mm-hmm. He, he was not... He was not housebroken. They, okay. they don't come housebroken, and you don't housebreak them, as best <laughs> I have learned. And so there's that, and he, he never did fetch my slippers or bring in the register guard from the front porch. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but I spent a lot of time just trying to relate to him and contemplate who he was, is, mm-hmm. and, and see if that helped me try to figure out who I am. And maybe learning from him and his slow take, especially given how go-go we are in the world today in general and certainly in my work, spending some time with him in the morning just looking at each other was, as I mentioned in the book, like Valium. Ah, like Valium. (laughs) Kind of a Zen, Zen Fred, huh? Yes, yes, definitely a Zen Fred. Okay. Nice. Natural natural opiate, just hanging yes. out with them. Yes. Yeah, because turtles, when you approach them, they're shy. You have to sit and wait, right? You have to wait, and then they are usually slow-moving, although he could, he could sprint when he wanted to, but they're usually slow-moving, and watching that slow response, even when I put a worm into his house and he'd look at it and think about it or whatever he does Mm -hmm. and before he's struck right that's interesting um now you have an incredible amount of research in this book um i'm just curious how long it took for you to put this together how many years of research it was several years uh, and i had been doing writing for the tortoise which is the journal of the turtle conservancy Mm -hmm. and uh, so i was amassing material for a, a few years before I started writing the book, but then then there was extensive travel and research in order to get a sense of what the what the global turtle realities are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was fascinated by that. I was actually actually a little bit envious, and at the same time, I was curious. I mean, you go to Jakarta, you go to some kind of shady areas in China as well. Um, as a reporter, did you ever feel? Like you were in danger? Did you ever feel intimidated by the situation? There was a couple. There was one time in Jakarta where they told you, "Don't even go in there." Right? Yeah, where I was told that this particular market was not a safe place to go, especially not knowing what I was doing. I'm just walking in looking for turtles. Yeah, and they are selling openly turtles that are that are smuggled into the country and are are illegal to sell. And and when I did go to that market. I was unable to find the turtles, but I started to take some pictures just because it was so ghastly, odd, a completely alien piles and piles of cages of 
different animals and particularly some monkeys that were in small cages just wow. shaking back and forth, awful stuff. I started taking pictures of that and I was yelled at and my fixer cab driver said, it's time for us to get out of here, mm-hmm. Yankee. Yeah, yeah no <laughs> kidding. <laughs> you are not in your home country whatsoever. Right. You are right. sticking out. Yeah. Um, did they care that you were taking pictures? Clearly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's so basically the the advice is when they when you feel like the situation is getting a little dicey you just kind of leave right? it's a, it's the monty python uh, advice run away run away run away <laughs> right <laughs> um, so this is not your only book about uh, about animals correct i wrote a book uh, called the dangerous world of butterflies that deals in a similar way with the threat to species to their very existence because of of uh, voracious collectors, along with habitat loss mm-hmm. and uh, and and the effects of uh, herbicides and pesticides. Yeah, I'm curious. Um, what sort of drew you to this? I mean, it's it's an enormous issue. But what sort of drew you to animals or species in the first place, as far as species protection? It, it was bizarrely serendipitous. I'd written a book about the. Iraq War, and particularly about soldiers who went to the Iraq War and came back opposed to the war. And I gave a presentation at a bookstore up in Washington State. And at the end of of the the hall was filled with 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 vets. It was a very um, intense discussion. And and toward the end, somebody said, "What's your next book going to be about?" And I said, "This is all so difficult to wrestle with." My next book is going to be about butterflies. Mm-hmm. It was a throwaway line for a joke, for a smile and a laugh like you just offered. And, and I got an email from a woman who, had, who saw a television presentation of that speech, that lecture, and she said, you were making a joke, but I'm here in Nicaragua with my husband. We're American expats, and we have a butterfly reserve, and if you come down here, we'll tell you about the underworld. Oh, wow. And that, that started the butterfly book. That's fascinating. And that got me interested more in a repertorial manner in the world of uh, natural history. Yeah, and that's why not only is this just a very um, interesting look at the current world of turtles and the history of turtles a little bit, but as you state, it's um, it's a call to action to a certain extent. Um, So I have a couple of questions about that. But first, um, the guy who did the preview for your book Richard Branson um, yeah. also states this call to call to action, and apparently he has his own island where he uh, he runs some protection and stuff. How did you hook up with Richard Branson? You just Richard, call him, or <laughs> Richard Branson is is the the uh, global businessman Richard Branson, and it turns out in part because of the island that he has in the Caribbean, Neckar, which he has as a preserve for various species, including turtles and tortoises, he is connected with the Turtle Conservancy, mm-hmm. as am I. That's the, the journal, of, uh, the tortoise is the journal of the Turtle Conservancy. So through mutual acquaintances there, I was able to connect with him and get his name on the, on the introduction. Yes. Yeah, that's, and that's really impressive. I mean, I think um, his voice along with your voice might be able to, like you said, produce some action a little bit. Um, you talk about 
the local area here in Eugene, we have an invasive species. I believe it's the red-eared slider, correct? correct. And then um, the western pond turtle is the one that's sort of being displaced. And that's one of the more striking and um, uncomfortable aspects about the book is, I won't spoil it, but where Chris E. Can, goes out and takes care of these red-eared sliders. Um, so for people who might be listening to this or reading this in Eugene, Springfield area, um, what can they do? What can they do to help turtles in this area? Yeah, we we definitely we have a couple of problems with the with the western pond turtle. Another is up in the Columbia River Gorge. Western pond turtles are suffering from some sort of uh, of uh, infection or or other problem with their plastrons, the the uh, belly part of the shell that is still unknown what's causing it and and how exactly to treat it. Hmm. So habitat loss is a big issue that we have to take into consideration. And as aware as we are here with things like our urban growth boundaries, uh, we we are we are denigrating the the health of the habitat of the turtles in our midst, and the western pond turtle, which is threatened, uh, has has some good news to it. If you go to Delta Ponds, that is a essential preserve of the western pond turtle. You can see western pond turtles there at the right time of year and the right time of day. And what we can do is raise consciousness so that kids are not smashing turtles. We can work toward maintaining the kinds of parkland and open space land where turtles and tortoises can thrive. We can minimize pesticide and herbicide use that is poisoning the habitat. Mm -hmm. And then we can figure out how to grow our cities because they're growing without without, uh, ravishing these habitats. And maybe that means we're going to grow up and maybe sleepy little Eugene will have some skyscrapers in it. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, what's his name? We'll see what Obi does with right. uh, with Fifth Fifth Street first. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. I love the serendipitous. All of your books seem to start with some sort of serendipitous little story where you're like, "Ooh, there's a light bulb right there." Um, so you might not want to answer, but. Have you had a serendipitous moment in your research for this book that's going to lead to the next one? Well, maybe not directly, but I'm working on a project that deals with walls and not just Trump's wall against Mexico, but walls conceptually and philosophically. Why do we build them? When do they work? When do they not work? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that's uh, that's uh, unfortunate and, and intriguing about this wall on the Mexican border is what it will do to migrating wildlife. And there's a, there's a panther down in that part of the world that's threatened mm-hmm. and uh, that migrates across the border. And there are tortoises that migrate across the border. And, and th- those are indicators of the kinds of, of uh, unanticipated problems that can come from something, whether you are completely in favor of a secure border and so you think the wall is a good idea or you're in favor of open borders and you think the wall is an atrocious idea, nonetheless, that kind of a gash across a vast expanse is going to interfere with nature and Mm -hmm. interfere with animals that all of us may like and all of us may wish to have 
existing in our midst, mm-hmm. and and that's a problematic aspect of walls. So maybe there's a connection there that somehow the turtle helped me decide I'm sure. going to engage in this wall project. Well, some of the most striking description in the book is you either flying or going into a certain place, especially in China, because you see these cities that are just rising out of the ground, and obviously it's going to affect the ecosystem around it. Yeah, the the infrastructure there was extraordinary to see how change was happening so fast and on such a massive scale. Mm-hmm. And interfering with the Yunnan box turtle habitat, that a turtle that had been declared extinct, remarkably a colony was found, and, and now that creates new pressure on that colony because everybody wants one. Yeah, all of a sudden, yeah, that's that's that. Some of the interesting irony in the book is you is you see something being conserved, but then all of a sudden the price goes up for it, and whoever can afford it wants to flaunt their wealth by having this particularly rare turtle. And then they're really extinct. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, yeah, I want to thank you for letting us preview the book here at the Register Guard. It's it's fascinating. Um, it's not out yet, right? Next Tuesday. So it's de facto out, yes. Okay, coming out next Tuesday, that's great. Um, Is there any sort of event that you want to to That would be great, thank you. Anybody and everybody is invited to campus, to the University of Oregon campus, the Night Library Browsing Room on Thursday, the 29th of this month, November, at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, where I'll be talking further about the book, and it would be great to have your questions. Wonderful. Well, I'll be there, so it's a week from Thanksgiving, and uh, make sure you get out to the Night Library Browsing Room and um, listen to Peter Lauffer. He's a fascinating individual, and I'm sure he'll take as much time as everybody needs to answer questions about turtles. So thank you very much for being, being here, Peter. I appreciate it. Matthew, thank you so much for your interest. It's great to be here. Wonderful. All right, we're going to sign off for now.